Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me Radio. It is our book and television edition. It is Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. We are actually here. You are not dreaming. My name is Megan, and this is the ever-lovely Kristen. What's up, Kristen? Woo! I'm here. That's about as well as I can be. (laughs) As you can tell by our lack of shows. It's a... It's a miracle that we're here. <laughs> yes, the life has just been a little crazy. It's been a little crazy. Yeah. Um, but yep. somehow we managed to get this show going so that we can talk about Kristen's favorite thing, books, television, Woo! and then also our main discussion, which is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which is the sixth book of the seven-book series. So that is the plan for right now is to do a good show and talk about those things. I think we could do that. Yay. Might be a little rusty, but that's it. (laughs) All right. We have some entertainment news to get to. I think we're going to start off with the one that I don't care about the most. (laughs) Okay. So... Uh, which is the Avatar Way of Water trailer. So that was released, and uh, this is the long-awaited sequel to the Avatar animated movie by James Cameron. Um, And it's going to officially be be released (laughs) in theaters in December. And the reason I'm saying this is because this has been such a long drag out for this movie because of pandemic and because of other, you know, delays that have happened on production for the last, what, like four to five years. But do people really care? Like, do you care about this at all? Okay. So I have, I have um, a confession. I've never seen Avatar. The closest I've been to seeing Avatar is I've ridden the Avatar rides at Disney World, and they're dope. Like, the best rides in Disney are the the Avatar rides. But, and I was like, oh, I should watch, because this is pretty cool. Like, the visuals are cool, but I've never seen Avatar, so I have no idea what it's even about. <laughs> it's basically like Pocahontas, but, like, in a fictional world. Like, there's, like, fictional blue people, and then there's people trying to take over. Like, it's just a thing. It's basically colonialism. <laughs> um, I wasn't that interested when I watched it, and it just seems like it's been gone on for so long. Like, the first Avatar movie was, like, what, released, like, a decade ago? Maybe even more? Let me look at this up. 
It was yeah, released Google that, when I, don't I know graduated the college, 2009. That's a long time ago. Wow. Wait, you see the we've all You're old. Lives, I think, but <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kristen. You're so welcome. is Avatar, which is why I don't understand why the sequel <laughs> is coming out in 2022. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> and That's not just COVID, like COVID. COVID was a reason, yeah. But it just seems like it was. it's a movie that is not supposed to be a thing. But I know that some people are really stoked I about have... it because they've been waiting for two couple decades to see it. I have a news thing that's not on here, and I just want to – it's really small. But one month from today, Jurassic World Dominion comes out, and I am so excited. I'm reordering my tickets this week. Nice. And you'll have, like, a full review for us and all that? Opening weekend, baby. Opening weekend, opening night. I'm going. I'm going to have food and snacks, and I might go see it twice that weekend. Who knows? Because it's Jurassic World. And it's the last one. Yeah, no, it's the one to do. I'll let you know. I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, that one I'm excited to see. Avatar, Camilla. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's just my opinion. All right. <laughs> so uh, an- another another piece of news, so I can stop hating and start loving again, um, is one of my favorite book series of all time, Percy Jackson, Um it has been greenlit for a Disney Plus series, so not a movie, but series, which is exciting because that means they can cover more things um, than yeah. a movie can. If they do it by, by season with multiple episodes, they just have more time to cover things. So I'm super excited about that. And they just released the casting of the three main characters for Percy Jackson uh, Walker Scoble is Percy Jackson, who I think looks really good in terms of, like, he looks super mischievous. Um, Grover, who is the friendly, loyal friend, uh, is being played by a, a young man named Ariane Shihandri. Um, And then Annabeth Chase, the boss lady who's super, super smart and keeps the other two in line, um, is being played by Leah Jeffries. Now, just like with anything... There is always controversy when it comes to casting. This person doesn't look like the person in my head, all that kind of stuff. Um, But a surprise move um, happened with this Percy Jackson series. Um, Annabeth Chase, um, who most people assume is white, although in terms of race, race being declared, it's never been declared, but she has gray eyes and blonde, so you can kind of just assume that she, I think most people will just assume that she was white. Um, she was cast, and it's she's being played by a young powerhouse black girl. Um, and Rick Warden, who is the author of the series, um, has played a really big part in the casting. And so as people are getting angry about Annabeth Chase not being white, he's like... It's not about the oh, race. Yeah. It's about it's about the energy and the way that the the, the actress brings out Annabeth Chase, and I'm super happy about it. So there's lots of controversy um, it's about. It's kind of like when people got all worked up about Hermione being cast in the play as and it was a yeah. black female. 
they got worked up and I was like, in in this case, in fairness, there was never a color skin for Hermione. No. You just assume. I think the harder yeah. part is for this, like usually the person I imagine is the person they end up casting and then it kind of grows onto them. So I think this will yeah. grow. I think the struggle people have is if they were fans of the movie, you already have an image in your head and it's going to be harder to transition than if it was just a brand new series that had never been well, done the yet. Movie, the movie sucked. So I think everyone's ready for this. I love the production like, movies. Now I didn't think they were like the most accurate, Rick, but they, I thought yeah, they did Rick a good Ward job. Is, Rick Worden, the author of the book was basically like, these are trash. Oh, and so it's pretty much been oh, <laughs> debunked so as an entertainment uh, medium for Percy Jackson, uh, which is why he's so excited about this, because he's a big part of of the creative process. But yeah, so that people people always get upset about the race thing. And again, we like, need to let it go. It's not people. stated. It's going to be fine. Right? So we're good. Um, but I'm super excited. She looks super cute, and I'm just, and they're young, so not like the Percy Jackson when they're a lot older, the older teens. Um, they're at the yeah. the act, the actual age that they're supposed to be. So kind of like Harry Potter, they're doing it that way, which is watching the, you know, making the different books as the kids grow, um, kind of experience. So I'm, I'm excited to right. see where that goes. Another thing um, that was announced over the weekend is who's going this to is be another the next thing. Doctor Who. Yep. Um, so Doctor Who is – I don't understand why. It is such a good show. Oh, yeah, you don't like – I guess you don't like fantasy things. Does sci-fi count as fantasy things? Correct. Sometimes, yes. yes. I like sci-fi more than fantasy, but sometimes there's a line. line that it can't cross Um, so Doctor Who um, has been recast and the next person who's going to be taking on this role um, is an actor who is a really good TV series um, called Sex Education on Netflix it's a bit naughty so don't watch that at work Um, but he was really good and his name is Nikuti Gatwa he's very young and he is the first black male um, Doctor Who to ever be on the series. So basically, my news that I'm bringing to you is black people are taking over the entertainment industry, and I'm okay. <laughs> so, All right, then. <laughs> I'm fine with this. I'm totally good. <laughs> it's about time. I was waiting for the revenge. Right. Um, <laughs> so that is the news. So what um, what TV show are you currently watching? Okay, so I've been not watching any. Again, I'm still way behind on all my normal shows. Just not been in the mood for scripted TV lately for some reason. Um, And so I've been, I binge watched the new season of CS uh, Sunset, Selling Sunset. I've been watching the new season of Key on MTV. Um, Love that. They're all a train wreck. Love watching it. But honestly, my, like, fascination has been on a Nat Geo show called Something Bit Me. You guys, it is 
the craziest story, and I'm just going to throw this out because race was a little topic today. It is all white people because only white people do these <laughs> things. It's literally like I have my best friend is African American, and he was like, "These are your people," because it's it's about people who have been attacked in bits by wild animals, and I'm not talking like basic wild animals. There are some snake bites, but I'm talking polar bears. I'm talking hippos. They're like, I went kayaking down the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe, and a hippo got mad and pushed me off my kayak and bit me, and I'm like, what? Who's like, there are hippos? I should get in a kayak. It's fascinating. You should watch it. I've watched 11 episodes this week. (laughs) I'm already super paranoid of weird things happening to me. Yeah. In fairness, none of them happening. Oh, one happened in California. Dude got bit by a snake. And they had to use 47 vials of antivenom because he he got bit by a rattler, tourniqueted his leg, and then rode a bike to safety. So it just, like, simmered in his leg. Holy shit. It's crazy. Yeah, it was in L.A. Crazy. What did you Very watch? Nice. So, I just finished watching um, Disney Plus, uh, one of the Marvel series, Moon Knight, um, with Oscar Isaac, um, and it was interesting. I, it's not like my it's not my favorite of the Marvel series, but it, it's a very intriguing character because Moon Knight. Um, his character basically has multiple personality disorder. Um, and so it's an interesting take on that and Egyptian mythology. And so it's, it's very intriguing. Um, but I didn't like get emotionally invested in it. If that makes sense, my mind was engaged, but I wasn't like in love with any characters or anything like that. Um, but if you're into Marvel or psychology, it's definitely something I think you will enjoy. So that's that's what I've been watching. Oh, all right. I haven't watched it yet. It's definitely good. I want to go see. I need to go see the new movie, but I have some things I got to catch up on before I go see the Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. All right, so let's get into book mode. Um, you know, we got some new ones, but we got some really old books, too, on here. So this is the New York Times bestseller fiction list. And so in fifth right now is Verity by Colleen Hoover. It's been there for 21 weeks. Um, the, the Lowen Ashley is hired by the husband of an injured writer to complete her popular series and uncovers a horrifying truth. Apparently, there's lots of triggers in that book if you're, you've had trauma and such in your life. Um, in fourth, where the crawdad seen by Delia Owens. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 158 weeks. This is really popular right now because the movie is coming out in July. Uh, so everyone's reading it because the trailer was dropped, and now they want to know. And it's an, about a quiet town on the North Carolina coast. In 1969, a young woman who survived alone in the marsh becomes a murder suspect. Uh, number three, City on Fire by Don Winslow. This one's new this week. 
Two rival criminal families that control all of New England start a war against each other. Uh, number two, that sounds like something I would read, so I might have to check that one out. Um, number two, Dreamtown by David Baldacci. Um, two weeks. This is the third book in the Archer series. Archer, Dash, and Callahan search for a missing screenwriter who had a dead body turn up in her home. Uh, Baldacci is really popular in the, like, the police crime series books. And then we got It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. Battered wife raised in a violent home attempts to halt the cycle of abuse. Again, super triggery. Colleen Hoover's real good at triggers. Mm-hmm. So, some good ones there. Then, what do you have? Well, for the nonfiction world, again, a lot of nonfiction books kind of lets us know what as a world we're going through. So I always get super curious to know what the top five is. So let's take a look. So lots of new things. Um, and we do have one older book, but mostly new. Uh, number five is Freezing Order by Bill Browder, which is the author of Red Notice, mm-hmm. tells his story about becoming Vladimir Putin's enemy by uncovering a $230 million tax refund scheme. Why do I feel like he's I going would to be dead soon? Oh, for sure. Who's going to off him for real? <laughs> like, he needs to be careful. God knows what kind of things he... Well, actually, we kind of already do know what he can do. Yeah. But even more so. Yeah, but we be don't safe, want to okay? witness it again. <laughs> be safe. Be safe. Um, number four is Unmasked by Paul Holes, a memoir by a former cold case investigator who worked on several notable cases, including the identification of the Golden State Killer. It's right up your alley. I'm going to read that one for sure. I'll let you know. <laughs> Man, two out of five Christian wants to read on the non I know. Let's, just, let's see if we can continue. Um, number three is The Body Keeps, the score by Bessel van der Kolk. It's been on the list for 88 weeks. It's how trauma affects the body and mind and innovative treatments for recovery. I feel like I probably not. I wouldn't mind reading this book. I think it sounds interesting. I'd be curious, like, I don't know, science like that intrigues me. Yeah. And the number two is The Palace Papers by Tina Brown. Uh, this is a follow-up to her The Diana Chronicles, which details how the royal family reinvented itself after the death of Princess Diana. Man, Princess Diana just magically appeared in our lives again. <laughs> right. And number one, Finding Me by Viola Davis, the multiple award-winning actress, describes the difficulties she's encountered before claiming her sense of self and achieving professional success. Viola Davis is is an OG, so mad props. Yeah, I would love to hear her story. So trauma, murder, Putin, and famous women. That is what we have in our mind based on the nonfiction list. Yep. Mm-hmm. How about some book recommendations? Right. So I've read some pretty good <clears throat> stories recently. Um, one of them is called Dead Girls Can't Tell Secrets by Chelsea Um It's a YA fiction mystery. Um, 
I don't want to give too much away because like describing it literally gives away the plot line. Uh, but it it reminded me a lot of um, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder uh, by Holly Jackson. Is that who wrote that book, Holly Jackson? Hopefully I'm not giving credit to the wrong person. Um, but, uh, yeah, Holly Jackson, I have it right here. But, yeah, it's a teenage, teenager trying to figure out a mystery themselves um, instead of, you know, like, because the police aren't doing it good enough for them, I guess. And they make a lot of dumb decisions in the process because teenagers, that's what they do. Um, and then <clears throat> I just read One for Sorrow by Helen Fields. It's the seventh book in her D.I. Kavanaugh series, which is based in Ireland, and, or Scotland, excuse me. And um, guys ripped my soul out and then made me mm. chew it and swallow it and then left me on a cliffhanger. I literally Man. tweeted uh, Helen Fields, the author, and I was like, you can't do that to me. Like, please tell me there's another one. And her response was, E, sorry, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no. But it's really good. Um, the I Not, it's a um, Scottish, like, police. Um, and it's a little gory. They give a lot of details. But this one is um, someone's targeting police. They get calls and they go out to rescue someone. And it's bombings. There bombs keep going off that injure the police and the rescue crew. And they're trying to figure Man. out why and who. Yeah, it's, it was crazy. So that's me. What are you reading? Um, honestly, I've been sucking on the reading front. Um, just been really busy with work and just being exhausted. So I'm still working on my Malcolm Gladwell book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but as soon as I have a new one, I will update you guys. Um, but right now, on the reading front, it's been slow. <laughs> Definitely. For sure. All right. Well, um, I'm reading a book called Lock the Doors by Vincent Ralph. It's about a kid that moves into a house with his family, and he sees holes on the outside of the door, and he can see where a lock was at, and he finds, like, writing on the underneath the wallpaper that says, help me. The people that used to live there moved, like, a block over, so he befriends one of the family members and is spying on them to figure out who needs help. Interesting. I think they sound really, really creepy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Another reason so far, to buy a new like home. Right. Buy a new home. Don't buy a used home. Someone might have been tra- locked in a room. Mm-hmm. Never know. Yep. Or be murdered there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no murder. I don't want to live there. I feel like you would secretly enjoy it. Secretly. I would. I'd be like, no, actually, I really wouldn't. I would want it to be like my neighbor's house somebody was murdered there. But that's going to be a question. When I buy a house, it's going to be, did someone die here? Because I can't deal. I'm not cool with ghosts. Mm -hmm. Like, mad respect, but not in my house. (laughs) Get out. Mad respect to ghosts? You just don't want them near you? Yeah, like, cool, float, do what you want, go through walls, but not my walls, please. You'll scare the crap out of me. 
Mm, yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one. I am not a fan of hauntings. Yeah. <laughs> so what's going on with the book club? Book club. So we're at bookclub.com, and just so you know, book clubs changed to book clubs. So it's not a Z anymore. It's an S. They changed it. So we're at bookclubs.com now. Um, and we're currently reading Emma by Jane Austen. And, guys, it's rough. I love the movie, so I actually recommended this book because we needed a historical fiction. So look at my choices. It is. One, it's 515 <laughs> pages. That's a pretty – it's but one of the longer it's ones, written, yeah. It's it's very flowery. It's there's like my my co uh, book club owner runner Liz said it perfectly. She's like it takes six pages for them to talk about one little thing that could have been done in like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And I'm like oof. It is so the writing. We'll see if I though. get through it. We'll see. I think you can. No. But I, I'm ready to talk about Harry Potter. Yes, I am ready to talk about Harry Potter as well. So we are talking about the six-book Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. We're really just focusing on the book, and we're really not talking about overarching themes. We're really focusing on what's happening in this story. So that being said, if you are one of the few people who have not read Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, number one, you're about a decade too late, so get on that. Um, and also just realize that there are going to be tons of spoilers, um, if you manage to also not watch the movie, which I think is a rarity. Um, so that is our plan. So in terms of Mm Half-Blood Prince, um, the overall feeling of the book and like the theme that it seems to be conveying, what did you notice about it? Um, I felt like this was a much darker film in general. While there was, like, flowery moments, there was, like, that sense of foreboding the whole, or I said film, sorry, book. Um, There's, like, that sense of foreboding that Mm -hmm. you just know, like, it's almost like things had been a little too easy up till now. And you know you're ending that you're nearing that end of the series. You're more, you know, you you're quite a ways in. And I feel like Order of the Phoenix kind of took that turn already. Um, but Half Blood Prince is like that next step. Like, all right, we're we've mm-hmm. made the turn. Bad stuff is coming. Everyone knows it. When is it going to strike? When's the big something's going to happen? Like it's like you could, it was crackling throughout the whole book. And so I felt like it was just like yeah. this kind of a dark, you and knew it, it was coming, you just didn't know when. It it reminded me, because I agree with you, and in, in, in some respects there's a lot of light things in this book too, like the right. the hormones and the relationships and the little thing mm-hmm. with Ron going for Quidditch and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it kind of feels like like the 1920s, like when it was it was when all of those dictators like Franco and Hitler they're all getting into power and 
there's you're, it, the world is becoming more and more eerie, but also people are are becoming more and more escapist because they're they know that something is probably going to happen, but they're just not ready to face it yet. Um, so they're trying to enjoy life as much as they possibly can. Um, and that's how I felt like this book was. The characters were trying their best to enjoy their sixth year at Hogwarts and to have relationships and to be kids, but also knowing at the same time the world is not normal. The world is unsafe, and it was just a matter of time when the world was going to break out into war or break into some sort of conflict or be in massive amounts of danger. And I think that J.K. Rowling does a really good job, even though this is not necessarily my favorite book, does a really good job of showcasing the weird normalcy with the impending, you know, darkness that you were kind of talking about. Yeah, it's like everyone's smiling in the picture, but it's like right now the flash is going off, so everyone's got this big smile. But it's it's like this book is like the, the moment we're waiting for the flash to finish where everyone's smile kind of drops. That's like that's mm-hmm. what we're waiting for. We're waiting, like we're seeing all these great things like relationships and um like dedication to a cause and school and like all these great things that could be considered. And like Harry's not crazy anymore. Everyone knows Voldemort yep. is here. Um but at the same time like you just know Voldemort is here. So, like, this is not going to mm-hmm. go well. Yeah. So exactly, yeah, I agree. It's like there's lots of happy things, but it's like everyone's holding their breath. Exactly, and there's you know, and then and just really, just the way that people are handling things, you can just kind of tell. Um, at the very beginning of this book, it kind of it it it, it talks about that shift that you were referring to, which is that. In the fifth book, it was about Fudge being an idiot and trying to convince the world that Voldemort is not back and that Harry Potter is super crazy. Um, Now, there's no doubt that Voldemort is back and the world is focusing on that. So it begins with a lot of articles about what's happening in the magical world and, and the fear that people have and the uncertainty that people have. And it also talks about how it is so uncertain that it is now time to tell the Muggle, the Muggle Prime Minister um, about the danger that is happening in the magical world. So and I think that was one of the this, biggest this questions. This dude's going to kill your people because he don't like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... And everyone was wondering, like, you know, like, so there is there is contact between the, the Muggle Prime Minister and the magical world when it comes to emergencies. And so I, I thought that was interesting. But so it begins with that reality of, yeah, like, Harry wasn't wrong. The world is dangerous. Voldemort's back. Um, and kind of sets up that sense of anxiety that you know that everyone is having. 
I mean, just thinking about our lives right now, right? Like the the situation in Ukraine and what might happen and how it can escalate. Um, we're mm-hmm. trying to live our lives, but in the back of our head, we're, we're I think we all are wondering, like, because you could just take one stupid thing that happens that turns it into a bigger thing. And it's <laughs> almost like, it's almost like the, you know, the wizarding prime minister or whatever he's called. Um, so like he's, he's now admitted, okay, fine. He's back. But now it's, it's now it's almost like, well, now you're saying he is back. Harry's known this for an entire school year, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Or summer, or however long it is. Like it's been this chunk of time. I can't even remember how long, but it's been a chunk of time. So now everyone knows we're behind. Like we should have been planning and preparing mm-hmm. for how long, and we weren't because yes. we were told it was fake. Nobody believed him. Which and is... so they're behind, but the government is trying to be like, it's fine. We're preparing. We're good. We're fine. But like really, we're behind. We should have been preparing already. Exactly, and also. Fudge does get punished politically for doing that um, by being kicked out of right. being the minister for magic, and so now we have Rufus Scrimgeier right. as the new prime minister, the new minister for magic. Mm-hmm. There, um, but yeah, so I, th- I think yeah. beginning with that that world anxiety kind of sets you up for mm-hmm. like even though we're gonna get into teenage stuff. This is the backdrop. This is the reality that will eventually have to be faced um, at the end of the book, as mm-hmm. well as going into the seventh book for the conclusion. Um, another thing right. that um, that is on both of our lists, actually, I think it's on yours, mm-hmm. but I, I also want to talk about it, is Draco Malfoy. Um, so Draco Malfoy, oh, sure. who up to this point, has just been like a butthead. I think that's probably the perfect term for him. He's just a butthead. He's a rich it butthead. Is. There's no better but, like, term for that. Um, who likes to bully people, and he's just that rich twat. Um, but in this book, um, there's a little bit of sympathy. Like you always suspect that Lucius Malfoy is probably not the best dad in the world. <laughs> um, but in this book, he has been given an impossible task, which is to basically murder Albus Dumbledore um, as a way to prove the Malfoy family's allegiance. And towards the beginning of the book, Narcissus Malfoy goes to Snape to basically say, protect my son. Um, and get him in an unbreakable vow to do such a thing. Now, I'm just curious to see your, like, this storyline of Draco Malfoy, what you thought of it, and kind of your analysis with this particular storyline. So, Draco is super suspicious right after that. And see, I guess I had a different feeling while reading this book. I didn't feel bad for him probably until the end and like his conversation with Dumbledore um at that point I feel like you really understood like he's really being forced like I know like in the movies Tom Felton said like when people are like well we don't think Dumbledore or 
you know, Draco was that bad. Like, we think that, like, he was forced. He was, like, bred that way. But he knew that what he was doing was wrong. And Tom mm-hmm. was like, no, no, no. But I really think with reading the book, you get that, like, I have to do these things. I do not have a choice. Like, this is the life I was dealt, and I there's no option. There's no, like, Weasley family waiting on the sidelines to save me. No. And I feel like like he got that at the end. So I, like, yeah, he doesn't have someone to save him. So, like, I I felt like that conversation with Dumbledore at the end of this book, um, I guess it's not the end end, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, Yeah. You get a real glimpse of, like, that's when I was like, oh, I kind of, I do feel bad. Or maybe, like, the fighting scene with Harry, I felt a little bad. But really, I felt like in this, there was, like, this new arrogance to Draco. Like, I'm the one. I get to do this. School doesn't matter. These extracurriculars are below me. Like, that was, like, the vibe. Um, I think they did a great job transitioning into a film. But I do think there was, like, almost like an arrogance. But I think that it was a scared boy hiding under arrogance. Yes. I think that probably the why I started to fad maybe a little bit sooner than you did was because I'm a teacher. And so usually when you, (laughs) (laughs) this is my life. My, my life is to um, try to figure out which of my kids are unbalanced. Um, But yeah, so like the, the signs of arrogance, not really caring about the things that they're supposed to be caring about being too cool for school and that kind of stuff. That is actually weirdly enough, the signs of someone who has joined a gang. So like essentially what Draco Malfoy was doing. Yeah. So basically what Draco Malfoy was doing is something called posturing. So you're afraid you're trying to make yourself worthy for this violent person that you want to, um, you want to impress. Because you know deep down if you fail, you could be killed, right? So, like, if he doesn't go through with this, there's no doubt Voldemort would kill him and his family, right, without a second thought. You know, especially since Malfoy, uh, Lucius Malfoy was already in hot water to begin with, which is why Draco was asked to do this as a punishment for Lucius uh, making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and so basically his family's safety is in his hands. And so he's posturing and trying to prove that he's okay and that he can handle it because there, like you said, there's no, there's no background. So when I was seeing him doing the posturing thing, it was different than his usual self. Um, it seemed more desperate, but also there was things Yeah, he like, was always cocky, but it was like extreme cocky. Um, but then there was times where he seemed overwhelmed and in the bathroom scene where Harry did the 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 spell that cutting spell that is written in the Half-Blood Prince journal he went to the bathroom to cry because he was overwhelmed Um, like that's the whole like reason like that scene came to be and then Harry came in and he started posturing again. Um, so like, it just, I think with this book, you start to realize that not only 
are people on the quote-unquote good side, the people who are fighting against Voldemort, life is about to change. But there's also people who are on the bad side who are also being forced to do things that maybe they don't want to do um, because there's just no other options, right? Because basically the Death Eaters is a type of gang. It's a type of domestic terrorist kind of a situation. Um, right. But I, I just think that whole thing is super interesting. Now, I do the too. other piece of, piece of this is, of course, uh, Snape. Um, in this book, uh, we know that he's doing some double agency things, and we also find out a little bit more about his backstory in terms of, like, um, how he's treated um, at school, particularly by Harry's father. Um, and we also find out that he is indeed the Half-Blood Prince, this mysterious person who's writing notes in this potion t- textbook. Um, so I'm just curious now, because you're a fan of Snape. What about his parts? I love him. So this book, though, kind of like, I didn't, I I, I mean, I gotta say, I probably didn't like Snape (coughs) until this point, because I was like, he's kind of a jerk. But like, even though he was kind of a jerk, I was like, well, Dumbledore, Dumbledore trusts him. Dumbledore's not dumb. He's never really had a, somebody do one over on him, except for Coral with the, you know, his head. But um, <laughs> I was like, there's no way Dumbledore is that dumb. Like, Snape has to be trustworthy. He's just a jerk, right? But when it came to the end and then Snape kills him, I was like, wait, is he really? Like, when he did the the... the the thing with Draco's mom, the unbreakable vow. I was like, how how are you going to do that if your if your allegiance is to the good side? Like, how are you going to protect Draco to that extent if you're good? So like, I was questioning it, and then like he killed Dumbledore, and I was like, what? I'm <laughs> so upset. I was so upset, but you get the hint that maybe not all is how it seems because when, um, you know, like while Snape did this, he never throws, uh, like he never kills anyone on the good side. Like it's, it's not like he's throwing curses, like Bellatrix crazy ass. So yeah. but I was like, I was a little heartbroken at this moment. I was like, Oh, yeah. I like, I didn't well, like reason- Snape yet, but I was like, was. Man. <laughs> yeah, the, the reason I, because I was on like fandom boards and blogs and stuff at this point when Half Blood Prince was released in real time, um, and I remember just having like right. a massive amount of debate about this ending with Dumbledore's death, and um, I just remember people going over and over again like, wait, but the Dumbledore seems to be begging to be killed because he says Severus, please. So that could be like, Severus, please don't do this. Or Severus, please just get this over with. Um, And so there's massive debates on that. I was on the side of, I don't think Snape killed him. I think I killed him to kill him. I felt like there was more to it, which ended up being correct. So I'm amazing. Just wanted to have that moment of humility. Um, So (laughs) it's... 
So it's a a scene, though, that can be interpreted both ways, which I think is really genius of J.K. Rowling, because there was, like, like, it was honestly from the moment that the sixth book came out to the moment from me first reading the the first page of the seventh book, there's just debate about what the hell Dumbledore mean by Severus, please. Um, And that was just such a a powerful um, scene in itself, um, completely. Now, the other thing that I want to mention, because time, um, there's a lot of things to unpack and a lot of things to talk about, um, is Horcruxes. (laughs) So we're going to do Horcruxes, then we'll get into more of the hormonal, like, pretend happy things. So when you learned about the Horcruxes in in this book, what was your like thoughts like how what did you think about this idea that you can that by killing someone it rips your soul in half and you can put it in a inanimate object to um basically make you immortal i one i thought the idea that it rips your soul each time you do it was it was actually kind of intriguing because if you think about just murder in general in our own world valid description of what murder is like you that's like the ultimate sin that's the ultimate thing you killed someone you took their life and you had no business doing that that was not your place and so I feel like the ripping of a soul was an intriguing idea of a way to describe murder and then the idea that you could do this and then magically insert part of your soul into another item that was inanimate like and there and nobody would have like it could be just anything it could be a pebble on the beach and what are the odds someone's going to find it so in Voldemort's case his downfall mm-hmm. honestly was probably that he picked important objects because yeah. if, it was like he picked, mm-hmm. like you said like a stone on the beach or a you know a grain of sand or whatever he could have lived forever. So his ego got in the way of it. Yeah. But I thought that was a super intriguing way of him staying alive. Yeah, for sure. And I, I also like the poetry um, of that idea that when you do something that's so inhumane that you kind of lose a bit of your humanity in the process, which makes total sense. It really does. Yep. The less chance you have yeah. of coming back. And I've never killed someone before, but I imagine she's letting you know right. people. Um, I I would imagine that there's no way to get back to normal after that fully. Like even if you make amends and you right. have remorse and you you do your time, I imagine that that's that's a a broken piece of you um, that you have to 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 yeah. live with. Um, for the rest of your day. So I also thought the poetry and that is really, really interesting. I also think it's really, really interesting. Obviously we don't know that this in this book that um, you can also unintentionally make something a horcrux without really thinking about it in certain circumstances. Um, but we'll talk more about that. Um, we need to cover the last book. Um, yeah. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is, just the the journey of of Harry working with Dumbledore. 
So in the fifth book, it was Dumbledore's avoiding Harry Potter at all costs, and it's making him caps lock and angsty and just really angry. Um, and right. now Dumbledore is allowing him in to the process to some degree. Obviously, there is a bigger secret that he is not going to reveal until the very end. Um, but for the most part, bringing him into some of the grander scheme of things, like what Horcruxes are, who Tom Riddle is, you know, what's yep. the backstory of Tom Riddle, and 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 kind of how Tom Riddle grew up and to become Voldemort, and then also brought him on a mission to the cave to get the ring, which is the Horcrux, and. Harry and the us, the readers, got to see the most powerful wizard in the wizarding world for Harry Potter basically grovel, become weak, begging mm-hmm. for mercy, crying, whimpering, and just seeing this like powerful person being brought to the most basic emotional level um, was so interesting. Because you never think, like, those big, those wise wizards that have to inevitably die in stories, we don't normally get to see them this week. And so it's interesting to see that that happened and that Harry Potter was a witness to that. But also gives you an indication yeah. of finding horcruxes is a bitch. <laughs> like, right. This is. It's it's psychologically draining. It's physically draining. Like it's not like you go and you kill something and it's fine. Like there's there's a that this journey that Harry knows he has to go on to defeat Voldemort, which is to take on these Horcruxes, which is basically the plot of the seventh book. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be draining, and killing these things are going to be painful on many different levels. Like you're going to have to reach a new level of mental strength to get through it. And I really think, like, that was Harry's first real, like, picture that when Dumbledore told him, like, no matter what I can say, don't stop. Like, don't don't stop making me do whatever it is we're going to do, right? And I think Harry's like, yeah, of course. Like, I'll do whatever. Like, I'm, you know, of course I'm going to listen to you. But, like, watching him and, or, you know, like, watching this scene play out where Dumbledore, like you said, is basically crumbling and begging, like, don't make me do it, don't make me do it. Mm-hmm. And Harry having to come to terms with that, like, I have to, like, I think that was a, a, a kind of a, a realization for Harry, like, how difficult this journey was going to be. Yeah. I mean, if they can take Dumbledore and turn him into, like, a begging child, that's not a good sign. <laughs> not a good sign at all. No, right. Sign me up for that, not at all. <laughs> but he's Harry Potter. Right, right. He doesn't Never. have a choice. He has to. He has to do it. Um, so let's talk about a little bit more of that lighter stuff that we talked about. So obviously these are the darker things that are happening behind the scenes. Harry's yep. learning what um, his mission is, basically. Um we lose a, a great mentor in Dumbledore. Um, and there are some some characters that are dealing with a lot of moral gray, like Snape being a double agent and and Balfoy 
being that scared little child, but there's also some lighter stuff. So first of all, uh-huh. Harry and Ginny. So Ginny becomes Harry's boyfriend, uh, not boyfriend, girlfriend. Harry is Ginny's <laughs> boyfriend. Um, what did you think about that relationship developing? <laughs> so I have never been a fan of Ginny. I felt like that entire relationship was awkward from the moment he walked into their house and she ran to like the very, I just felt like there was like this, like it was a forced pairing. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask about this. (laughs) I mean, you are my co-host, so you're the only person to ask about it. I know. Poor you. um, I do, I do think Sometimes, and this is why I get so upset with the movies when it comes to Ron, because I think I think the same thing happens to Ginny, which is as time goes on and people watch the movies more and more and they read the books less and less, the movie Ginny becomes the thing that they think about. Because movie Ginny sucks. She's not very developed. Well, I just think, like, Bonnie Wright is not the whole thing, even in the there. books. But I, I, I do think, so one moment, uh, and I do think that Ginny, that Bonnie Wright and Daniel Radcliffe had, like, the worst chemistry ever. And so in the movie, oh, it was her. grotesque to me. Like, the, it was, yeah. like, I'm using grotesque, and that seems extreme, but it is. Like, <laughs> Ginny and, and Harry on screen was just not great. In the book, though, um, I think the story of best friend sister becomes a romantic person does happen. It, it is also an old cliched story that oh, yeah. has, has happened. Many I think Ginny, mm-hmm. she is feisty. She is someone who doesn't take crap. She has a bit of Molly Weasley in her. Like she grew up with brothers and she's just like, this is how I feel. This is, you know, like, she's she's that person. And, yes, books one through three, she was that little girl with a crush on a boy, and she a little bit of hero worship. But then after that, she dated Dean and other people, and it just it, – she became more leveled out. I think it probably was forced in the terms of they wanted Harry to be part of the Weasley clan. Um because that's poetic to be to bring him into this family that basically semi adopted him. But I do think that Ginny's I'm not gonna handle your BS is really good for Harry. And there were moments in Half Blood Prince oh, when he was being sulky when he was being sulky and um uh, even with in, in Order of the Phoenix too, there's a couple of really good scenes there too where she's just kinda like, No, like stop it. Stop doing that. Whereas, like, Hermione I will say, just get frustrated with him. She's just, like, or try to coddle him and enable, because Hermione also does that with Harry. Um, Ginny right. is more like, stop it. You're being stupid. Or, like, you know, or gives him a reality check. And I think that's really good for him. I think one thing I liked about the inside, the only thing I really liked, and I, I am thinking book relationship, the the movie was a completely different level, like you yeah. said. Like, 
I was so awkward. I felt uncomfortable watching their relationship in the movie. But in the, yeah. it just like like I said, it just felt like a forced pair. They like, didn't seem like a really great match. But I will say what I liked about Ginny was that she was like the one female that interacted with Harry, but wasn't like stuck up his butt. Like it's like every female was always like, oh, Harry, oh, Harry. And even Hermione, like, can I help you, Harry? Do you need anything, Harry? Mrs. Weasley, what can I get you, Harry? Do you need anything? What can we do to make this easier? Everyone was all about, and Ginny was just like, oh, you got to yeah. go do stuff? Cool. Like, let me know when you're ready. Yeah. And also, like, um, I think what's, what's interesting is a lot of people are, like, Harry and Hermione shippers, but, like, Hermione really does oh, no, enable him a lot. Um but also she shuts down. So like when when Harry's like snapping at her, she's like, oh, okay. Like she'll just be like, I'm just trying to help, and then like leave. So like, I think Ginny handles Harry very very well. Um, and I don't think the Hermione and Harry, I don't think that would have lasted. That would have been terrible. Mainly because it'd be boring and sad. But hey, whatever. Um, so let's talk about my favorite copy couple. Uh, Ron and Hermione, they did not get together in this book, um, but they did make some progressions. By the way of Lavender Brown, who is like the most stereotypical, annoying teenage female um, to exist, Ron starts dating her, um, and Hermione is very, very jealous and very, very heartbroken, and it's obvious that throughout the the thing. Then everyone one accidentally gets poisoned and Lavender goes bye bye because she realizes that he's more into Hermione because he whispers Hermione's name in a drugged state, which is honestly the the way that most true feelings get communicated <laughs> um is right. you're drugged or hurt. And so some progress there. Yeah. I thought the Lavender Brown Ron stuff was quite annoying. I don't really care about teenage relationships, but it was definitely good for Ron to get that first relationship out of the way. <laughs> um, oh, and you need to see how annoying story. she was for sure. Seriously, it's sometimes the stupid girl who worships you. Um, is not actually the one that you need. You need the one who is super smart and calls you on your bullshit. Right. That's that's the yeah. And that is and that is another thing is that like Hermione like either shuts down with Harry or enables him, but Hermione responds to Ron being stupid very different. Um, she communicates that very loudly when Ron's being stupid. Yeah. Um, which mm-hmm. showcases the communication between Hermione and Ron is actually more healthy than the communication between Hermione and Harry. Um, which is funny to say because most people think that their bickering is unhealthy, but I think it's actually healthy. But that's just me. Um, so there's that. <laughs> I agree. I love Hermione and Ron. Me too. Um, and then there's one last thing that we for, that we didn't get a chance to talk to, but we can we can talk about it now. Is Horace Slughorn the new? He's so um, funny to me. 
Yeah. How so? I just think he's he's like this. He's like the odd teacher I would have liked in school. Like he's kind of obsessed <laughs> with like the cool people. He wants to be the cool kid. Um, so he invites the cool kids. He only talk. He really only talks to people. Like I think I would have liked him because like. He is who he is. Like, he doesn't care that, like, yeah, I invited only the people who can benefit me or have a connection that could benefit me to my party. No, but he's full on Slytherin. That's a very Slytherin thing for him. Yeah, yeah. But he's just this, like, super smart dude who, like, he kind of reminds me of Hagrid. I think that's why I like him. Like, sometimes he says things, and then he stops, and he's like, okay, time's up. (laughs) Like, I'm getting too far. I'm not supposed to talk about this. He's very eccentric, um, and yeah, he definitely has the, he he is used as a plot device to give a little for mystery, but not give everything. Like, Hagrid was used in the first book for that quite a bit. Um, to, so, I call that type of teacher the collector. So, this is like... Well, that's creepy. Like, Have you seen I, that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that movie, so I don't know if it's it will transfer over. I don't think it will transfer over based on your reaction. It's not, <laughs> but like, but like, I have near my desk like artwork that random kids have made, whether they're great art or whether it's bad art, it's all there. So anything that kids give me, I put there. But there's some teachers who mm-hmm. are. Uh, and you're just more at high school level than middle school level, but there's just teachers who just like every story they say is like, oh yeah, my one student who went to Harvard or this student did this, or my student is that like, they just constantly talk about how their past students are doing amazing things. And I call those the collectors. Yeah. They're just like, they, they've clamped on ownership on based on the fact that you taught them one year in their educational career, you are responsible for free algebra. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you are obviously the reason why they got a law degree at Cornell. Um, so like, <laughs> like, so Slughorn is like that, except for he has more reasons to think that because you do teach at Hogwarts all the grades, so you literally teach kids seven years. So I think Hogwarts teachers have a little bit more credence you know, more credibility to say things like that. Um, but still, yeah. he's definitely, he definitely tries to pick the best and the brightest so that he can, he can get some perks, whether it's Quidditch tickets or personal favors. Um, and that is true Slytherin 100%. Who was your favorite character in this book? Um, my favorite character in this book is probably still Ron, um, but I really did like the scenes between Harry and Dumbledore. So I think in terms of just specifically this book, um, I would say Dumbledore. Okay. I actually, I think I, my favorite character in terms of storyline would have been Draco, just because we saw... I say growth, but, like, not necessarily in a positive way, but just, like, a growth where 
I feel like this was the book that he went from boy to man. Like, mm-hmm. before he was a kid, and, like, he had responsibilities, but they were so little. This was the big one. This is, like, you're with us now. Like, he, you're a Death Eater. He, you know, he wore the sleeves, covering himself up all the time. His, his, the way he dressed changed. The way he acted changed. And not necessarily growth in terms of, like, personal growth. Like, he became a better person, but we saw yeah. a very big change. And watching him go through that and deal with that change was interesting. No, 100%. I agree as well. Um, he has a very interesting, interesting story in this one, for sure. I love him some great, though. <laughs> really? <laughs> I do. I love great, though. I still think he's... I love his story. Story, yes. He's a terrible person. You'll for think sure. he's a bit of a butthead. <laughs> no doubt. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right. So uh, that concludes our conversation of the Half Blood Prince. I think it went, went well. I think I think we got the the cobwebs off, and I think we're good. I think the thing we yeah, good. good. I think we uh, we still got it. We still got it. Yeah. So any nerdy obsessions, Kristen? Before we leave. I've been reading a lot. I'm currently on my 27th book this year. Um, 27, 28, 29, so I'm reading three at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I've read three um, or 27 books, and I think four of them have been audiobooks that I've listened to. Because um, I listen to audiobooks on my way to and from work. Yeah, but I've read a lot. Um my goal is 60 for the year, so I think I'm going to surpass that. I've just been really Sweet. trying to stay on the ball with my reading. And I have a lot, this mm-hmm. year is very big in the book world. Like, lots of book releases this year. Uh, more, so, like, probably double every quarter because they do them by, like, seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall releases. Yeah. And, like, double the number of review requests and stuff. So that yeah. just books are really my thing because um, I also just opened my own book business so that books have become kind of like an all-around thing. So you can check yeah. out my book business at offourshelfbooks.com. And we just sell Very book nice. titles because I like books so freaking much. I mean, yeah. I mean, books are amazing. Mine is, I think I mentioned earlier, the last time I talked to you, that I'm kind of doing a Star Wars rewatch, rediscovery. So I was watching Star Wars Rebels. Um, I'm now doing a rewatch of Star Wars Clone Wars, and I just watched Rogue One again. Um, And I'm getting super excited to see Obi-Wan Kenobi, which will be releasing in a couple weeks. So um, I'm just enjoying my Star Wars nerdum, basically. (laughs) Nice. I love Star Wars. Me too. All right, guys, we want your feedback on what to discuss in the world of nerdum. So please give us your feedback and follow us at talknerdy underscore radio. We would love to hear from you. Also, make sure to bookmark www.nerdprobs.com for articles and reviews. Um, Join our book club on Facebook, Just One More Chapter. Um, It's also on book clubs with an S.com. And 
we will be back, God willing, or any deity that may or may not exist, willing, um, next Tuesday. We'll be talking about some movies and music. Yeah. So hopefully, so send good vibes to us, guys, because this was fun. All right, everyone. Have a great evening, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Okay, bye.